You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. On today's show, we have a special guest, Mr. Corey Clipston. Corey comes with a wealth of knowledge and experience in the Bitcoin space. He's the founder and CEO of Swan Bitcoin, which is a noteworthy exchange. During our discussion, Corey provides some incredible insights into how corrupt and broke many of the incentives are for the quote unquote crypto ecosystem, where we discuss things like FTX, JPEGs of monkey pictures, and much, much more. That's why I've titled this show, It's Bitcoin, Not Crypto. And after you're done listening to this, you'll understand why so many people in the space take deep offense to the two being lumped together as the same thing. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Corey Clipston. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Corey. Corey, welcome to the Investors Podcast. Hey, good to be here, Preston. Thanks for having me. Corey, I think uh, everybody... Everybody wants to know what in the world is happening in this space right now. And as a hardcore Bitcoiner, and I know you're a hardcore Bitcoiner, it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I know all this stuff's blowing up. I've got a, all my coins in cold storage, so it just really doesn't matter. But for people that aren't comfortable, or maybe they had funds on FTX, or they have them on some other platform, and they're just like, what in the world is this? Give them a rundown of what's playing out, why it's so mm -hmm. important to fully understand what's playing out, uh, and it just give us the one over the world from your point of view. Well, the good thing is, as you noted, if you have your coins in self-custody, you don't need to know all the stuff that's going on. It's only if nope. you actually have your funds at risk that you need to follow the stuff closely. And uh, we've seen some crazy announcements over the last couple of days of very sophisticated, smart, you know, pretty good people who happen to run crypto funds, even one in particular, who I know personally is 99% Bitcoin in his own personal portfolio, but he runs crypto fund just actively trading this stuff. And, you know, that guy kept about 40% of his funds crypto on FTX. Um, oh and it God. looks like, you know, so that, that was Galoy Capital and that's Keith. He's, you know, really smart guy and pretty good guy. Travis Kling over at Ikigai, who a lot of people in Los Angeles know, really strong arguments for Bitcoin. You've seen his, mm -hmm. his tweets. We think very similarly about Bitcoin. I very much disagree with him on DLT slash blockchain, crypto, whatever, having any lasting value. But otherwise, he is a nice guy and he's a smart guy. And man, had almost all his hedge funds crypto on FTX. It's insane. So just, just in line for pennies on the dollar, maybe someday. Talk to us about like what Sam was doing, like because this isn't like he uh, just made some bad positions. I mean, it it was fraud. He was doing things yeah. that were that were just really unethical in many different yeah. ways. But talk to us about it. Yeah, fair enough. So I mean, at, at the end of the day, he was clearly gambling with customer funds. The the money's on the exchange, and they were trading it, and that's all you really need to know. I think we'll find out all the details over the coming months, but I think it's fair to say that even though technically you have to put the alleged around that today, mm -hmm. I think it's really clear that's what happened. Otherwise, he would have been able to let people withdraw their funds. And instead, we see that they're trying to raise $9.4 billion to cover over the hole they have in their balance sheet. 
Wow, that's the number right now, 9.4 billion. Yeah. Like that number is so- billion, then it was five to six. Now it's actually 9.4. I mean, that, that number is just so massive. Do you think that a number that massive could spill into like traditional markets and start to create contagion in the traditional markets? Is it that big of a number or? No, it's not big enough to mess with the regular, <laughs> the traditional financial yeah. system. It's just causing mass contagion across the, uh, the non-Bitcoin crypto ecosystem. Obviously impacting the Bitcoin price, but I think that's just a short-term thing and we Bitcoiners don't really care. Do you think that everything that happened in the Luna Celsius, I don't know how many months ago, that probably has been like four or five months ago, was Sam tied in? Do you think he was having issues through that and it was the can was just kicked or is this a whole nother manifestation of kind of the same thing? That seems the most plausible. And I am not a, a sophisticated on-chain analyst, but uh, what's his name? Luca Nuzzi is that Nick's partner over at CoinMetrics. So mm-hmm. he put out a thread about 10 days ago and actually did some on... Once he saw what had happened and had a hypothesis, it was easier to go and find what he was looking for. And he thinks that he found a transfer of, at the time, a little over $4 billion worth of FTT tokens from FTX to Alameda. And that is likely because Alameda actually blew up alongside Three Arrows Capital and everybody else Wow! alongside Luna and probably had exposure to Three Arrows Capital, which had a lot of exposure to Luna. We don't know yet whether Alameda had a lot of direct exposure to Luna, but it wouldn't be necessary as long as they had a lot of exposure to one of the other desks that were blowing up or funds that were blowing up. And that probably propped up Alameda and let them claim. Because again, because of the myth propagated by Sam and his PR machine, nobody really did any diligence on them. So if they could say that they had X dollars worth of collateral, people would lend to them. And so even though the vast majority of that collateral was this printed out of thin air token from their sister company that literally was next door in the same building with the same ownership and back doors between them, that Sam and friends coded so that they could not trigger audit review or even risk committee review as they funneled money back and forth between the two companies. Again, allegedly, but it appears this is what happened. All these companies would lend to them because it, they said that they had the collateral. What I get when I'm, when I'm seeing some of the things that are being posted on Twitter is just a total lack of decency and respect with so many people in this space. And, and let me give you an example. So like one of the things that you read on Twitter was this engagement where Sam was raising funds from Sequoia. And it was this chat log where he was literally, Corey, he was playing a video game, like some Dungeons and Dragons video game while he was pitching Sequoia on how for the round that they were raising, I have no idea the amount that they were raising, but I would guess it was in the billions. There is a billion, including about 400 million of that from Sequoia. Four, so this meeting was a $400 million meeting, right? Like yep. no regard for your employees, no regard for your existing customers. I don't know how many millions. I would imagine they had millions of customers. Five million, five million, five million customers. customers. No regard for, no respect for the amount of work that it takes to earn $400 million. Like he's there. And I can only imagine if this is a Zoom call, the Sequoia employees that are sitting on the other end, and they're probably 
you know, watching videos or doing their own or on Twitter or whatever while they're taking the meeting. And then they're just filling out these chat logs saying, oh, I love him. He's so brilliant because he said he could integrate bananas into his application on FTX. Like the whole thing mm-hmm. just seems like it's straight out of a, like a really bad horror movie where both sides are, are just total scammers on both sides. Like, and I, there's a question in here somewhere. Well, when you, but like when you, so this gets at the problems with crypto VC, right? And so yeah, now I think finally, finally, we Bitcoiners and the journalists that care about truth, just like Bitcoiners care about truth, appear to have enough of a microphone or enough of a megaphone uh, to start going after the absolute scam fest that has been going on for the last four or five years in Silicon Valley. Talk to I finally people about felt strong enough to really go out mm-hmm. with a hard hitting thread about Andreessen Horowitz that I posted this morning. Oh, um, so I haven't talked about this anywhere, but um, walk us through it. Walk, walk yeah, we can talk the, about that yeah. a little bit, but you know, and, and I've talked about these themes and kind of what's going on, but essentially there's never been a better industry vertical for the venture capital business model than crypto, meaning non-Bitcoin altcoin scamming. Why? Because they can, they benefit from information arbitrage and regulatory arbitrage. And at the same time, and basically they can, so any crypto VC deck, when they go and raise from LPs only needs two things on it. Really. It's just literally one is short time to liquidity. And the second is we make our own weather. And these are the two things that when I came into the space, as lots of people know, I was in Silicon Valley ecosystem, advising startups, cutting angel checks, you know, starting in 2012, 2013, all the way through going Bitcoin full time in 2018. That first 11 months from like May of getting caught up in the, in the ICO run up and Bitcoin and everything through about April of 2018, when I decided Bitcoin was the only thing that mattered, I was heavily immersed in all aspects of, of the, the crypto space. And I heard this said over and over and over again and didn't see the obvious, the obvious lie in that and just how immoral it is to hinge a business model on short time to liquidity, meaning that you don't need to have revenue, you don't need to have product market fit. None of that. It doesn't need to be real because you can just dump this token on retail or on dumb institutional. And there's no mark or there's no product. There's no service. There's no product. There's no nothing. nothing. It's just self It's just self-referential gambling and gambling tools, and that's it. On something that has no inherent value or no no real world use case. And then we make our own weather. Is that they're all just they all are just marketers. And so this is where it becomes really important that the genesis of Andreessen Horowitz is in partnership essentially with CAA the you know it was basically modeled after CAA this is uh, the talent agency down in Los Angeles so Mike Ovitz the founder of CAA was the senior advisor to Ben and Mark when they started the firm they kind of modeled it after CAA the whole point was that they were going to treat the founders of these companies as talent the same way a Hollywood talent agency would treat their talent and would be kind of in service of them but what it also came with is in the DNA of that firm from the very beginning was to make your own weather, to put out your own media. So this is where you see them always putting out podcasts and trying to get everybody at their firm to blog all the time and hosting conferences and just being in the media as much as possible. They even created a new media arm a couple of years ago, basically specifically to push their crypto agenda called Future. Essentially, they, they push out and market 
and make their own weather with these crypto scams that get short time to liquidity. And as long as the window is open where these things are unregulated and you can say whatever you want about magic beanstalks on the blockchain or whatever that will save the world, you can go over and over again and push WorldCoin, Helium Token, Axie Infinity. You can buy $300 million worth of Solana and get all your friends at CAA and the other agencies down to Hollywood to have all these celebrities go on talk shows talking about their Solana, which happened in the summer of 2021. And then they can dump it as soon as it pumps and and get out of their cost basis and still let some ride. And as long as that window is open, they're going to continue doing it because you stack these funds. You raise a fund. If you can get out of the J curve where you've made your investments and you start to have exits, if you can start to show that you've actually returned the fund, the faster you can do that, the faster you can raise another fund. So Andres yeah. Horowitz is on like fund number four now, I think. It's between 12 and $15 billion that they're collecting 2% on of these crypto funds. It's so much money that they can hire people out of DC over and over again as partners in these funds deliberately to get around the regulations around lobbying. So if you spend more than 20% of your time in DC lobbying, you have to register as a lobbyist. That doesn't count if you're a partner in a company. So they just hire people straight out of DC, make them partners of these funds, and they can basically be in DC full time arguing for Ethereum matters or whatever it is that they're trying to get across. And, you know, the the game that SBF was up to over the past year and a half, two years, was essentially trying to wrest control of crypto, oversight of crypto away from the SEC and put it under the CFTC. And they've been working on this with Paradigm, which is Fred Ersom, Brian Armstrong's co-founder at, uh, at Coinbase. This is Andreessen Horowitz. This is FTX. This is also Coinbase. Uh, and obviously the entire Ethereum Foundation and Joe Lubin and Novogratz at Galaxy and all these guys essentially trying to have crypto regulated by anyone other than the SEC because the SEC obviously knows that this stuff all uh, passes the Howey test and these are all securities. So they've basically just been dangling millions and millions and millions of dollars in front of the CFTC and saying, if you regulate us, please charge us tons and tons of money so that we can staff your office and you guys will get super, super powerful and you'll be you know, big swinging dicks out there at the CFTC because you'll oversee this burgeoning crypto industry. Just, just you know, wink, wink, regulate us with a light hand. I'm so disturbed just hearing, like what you're saying now is just crystal clear, like what the model is. But I've never even, I, I mean, I knew there was this perverted incentive structure that was happening up there with... uh and you just named one of many firms, I think, that are all in cahoots uh, doing this in the VC yeah. crypto space, right? But then, yeah, the time- worst actors are like Andreessen Horowitz, Multicoin Capital. Kyle Samani hasn't said a true word in probably six years. It's all just trash marketing, scheming, pumping, dumping, scamming. How do you overcome something like this? Truth helps, just exposing it. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Bitcoiners and journalists, especially this year, have increasingly found common cause. There are a lot of journalists that actually want to find the truth, including quite a few that actually work for crypto rags. So they're industry, industry journalists, but they actually have real backgrounds in journalism. And kind of like me in my first you know, almost year in the space, going through my shitcoin horseshoe of like, hey, there's Bitcoin, let's explore all this other stuff. You know, they've been bamboozled by these people with credibility, right? I used to read Andreessen Horowitz's blog religiously 
Mm-hmm. I used to read uh, Fred Wilson's newsletter every single issue as soon as it hit. This is the guy that runs uh, Union Square Ventures, which has been a big crypto scammer. Like I used to read his newsletter every morning. Like, and he's a good guy. I actually think Fred probably just doesn't get it and just doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe Drayson Horowitz has no excuse. Like, they're very clearly like deliberately got 140 of their employees registered as representatives so that they could sell securities in case anybody came hunting for them. They did that back in 2018. So they knew exactly what they were doing this entire time. I'm, I'm totally floored by what you just said. I think the way that Bitcoiners are, have been driving home the message of Bitcoin, not crypto mm-hmm. for the entire year of 2022. That was literally the mantra of Swan, for instance. And I've done this in every media appearance. I've stopped interviews live on TV when somebody says crypto. And I don't care if I use 45 of the 60 seconds for my spot to explain the difference. Like that's the message I'm getting across. I think that you're going to see a great industry of venture capital based in Silicon Valley now reject the scammers and kick them out. So you have firms like Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield Byers, that's been around a long, long time. And they were the top firm in the Valley for many, many years, You know, the, the biggest investor in Google, things like that. They've never done crypto. So it's in their interest now to separate themselves from the Sequoias and the Andreessen Horowitzes and all of these people that have jumped on the money train and, and basically just taken advantage of this one-time opportunity to get super, super rich by scamming the people. And I think you'll see the, I think you'll see nature healing in Silicon Valley, but it's going to take a while and it won't be completely done until the longest con of all, Ethereum actually collapses and is exposed. Talk to us about Ethereum then. I'm curious I mean, just to hear your, your very yeah, candid I mean, yeah. overview. Listen, of, we're, of Ethereum. we're, you've probably had plenty of people on to talk about Ethereum and I'm not really like, that's not next on my target list. Again, like I'm not a coin PI. Yeah. The ones that catch my attention are the ones that, uh, that are really close to Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, and that have false narratives around Bitcoin. Nick Zabo, I'm paraphrasing here, at some point said that, you know, you basically, it's more or less like save your bullets for influential ignorance. And I take it a step further. I save my bullets for influential ignorance that directly affects my day, essentially, what I work on. Yeah. You know, if I saw Luna, an obvious coin, talking a bunch of mess about Bitcoin and how we had common cause, like my gut says, now let me figure out why and let me expose it, which I did starting back in March. And then obviously that resulted their fraud collapsed by May 9th or whatever. And then it was Celsius, and you could see right away as Mashinsky started taking to the airwaves after they dumbly tweeted that they had pulled over $500 million of customer funds out of Anchor, which was part of the Luna Ponzi scheme, was the key component of the Luna Ponzi scheme. Obviously, I jumped all over that, and I was like, why were there customer funds in an obvious Ponzi scheme? You guys are clearly not good stewards of risk, and you're probably in on it. And then, you know, he put out a video, Mashinsky put out a video saying that Bitcoin maximalists are responsible for uh, 30% of Bitcoin being lost because they encourage self-custody as he was trying to recruit deposits. And it's like, dude, this guy is trying to pay out old investors with new investors money. It's very clear. This is a Ponzi. And so I just started yelling about Celsius. It collapsed June 12th, like a month later. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. 
The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. Corey, I couldn't imagine the number of like DMs and just thank yous that you've received in the past year because yeah, you know, maybe it's probably it's, over a thousand now. Like really felt letters of saving marriages, saving families, saving finances, saving their mothers, their brothers, their cousins, their coworkers. Yeah, across all of these, it's just mountains and mountains, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I'll say this. You had the courage to actually speak up. And although some other people maybe might thought something was going wrong, right? They're just like, oh, that looks really ugly over there. But what if I'm wrong? So I'm not going to say anything. You put your neck out there multiple, multiple times in the past year to help people. Well, truly, your intention was to help people. And I don't know that there were really many others that were saying anything, especially with the Luna and uh, Celsius blow up. Like, well, I mean, the the hard thing is like there's even people that are you know known as like Bitcoin influencers. Like, I think Anthony Pompliano is probably the the biggest example. I mean, he was actively promoting Do Kwan and Luna, putting them on his show, 
talking about how good it was for Bitcoin. And this is also somebody that actively promoted BlockFi all these years, you know, and that's, that's a company that I sort of never trusted from meeting the management early on. Didn't really go after them. Like it's kind of a neutral actor in the space. But then FTX, I mean, Pomp had like so much shilling of FTX and so much sort of mythologizing and participating in that. He's not the only one. Obviously, a ton of people have, have pumped up FTX as being some sort of like wonderkin genius, but the guy clearly wasn't. I think there's just this thing with people like SPF and Vitalik where people look at someone that acts that way. And just kind of like slovenly and awkward and talks yeah. like in computer code or something. They assume that that's a genius. I think, um, I don't know, maybe it's my background having been a journalist before I ever got into business, but that's mm. how I grew up. I wanted to be a journalist from the time I was eight. I found, mm. I found a, I found a, what do you want to be when you grow up from 1986 that said I wanted to be a journalist. And I did practice for a while. I was in local NBC TV reporter. And I think we, we bring the code of journalism. I went to University of Missouri, the first journalism school in the world. And I think we bring the code of journalism to our work at Swan and we try to be objective and we try to caveat things that we always caveat things that we aren't certain of. So you'll notice I'm extremely careful in what I say and what I tweet. Only if I'm certain of something, do I say it. Otherwise I just poke and I ask questions and I poked and asked questions about Sam and FTX from June through 12 days ago. We're recording here on, uh, on the 14th. And it wasn't until 12 days ago that Coindesk got in touch because of my constant poking and passed me the balance sheet and we you know, broke the story. I was certain that Luna was a Ponzi. That was obvious mm. after looking at it for about 14 or 45 minutes back late March. Once I saw that they had this 20% interest on Anchor and that that was essentially propping up the ecosystem and that they were backfilling it, it was like, oh my God, that is clearly going to collapse. So I had no problem whatsoever just telling everyone that was going to collapse. How much more contagion or impairment do you think there is in the space right now after all of this that, that hasn't um, happened yet or is, is still getting churned through right now? I mean, my pet number is I tally up the amount invested in the scam crypto ecosystem over the last 30 months is about 40 billion of money that came into Paradigm and Andreessen Horowitz and all these funds. So, you know, I mean, as far as market cap, obviously these are propping up market caps that are complete garbage, but obviously those are, that's not real money. If you have some, I mean, literally a complete fake project like Link which is probably still in the top 20 that claims to have solved the Oracle problem. When anyone that knows computer science knows that the Oracle problem hasn't been solved. It's like, well, that's actually a complete lie with a multi-billion dollar market cap. Plus, you know, Solana is still hanging out there, obviously a value of zero. It's completely centralized. Jump capital controls their oracles. When the Oracle was going to make them lose a lot of money, they just shut down their oracles. That just happened last week. You know, so it's just completely fake. It's not decentralized at all. Right. Yeah, I mean, at minimum, forty billion wow. of real money invested, and then whatever you know, multiple poorly by these crypto funds yeah. needs to just wash out, plus all the market cap that yeah. created. So that's the hard part: is like how how much capitalization or multiple is there on top of that number that has been factored in yeah. that still needs to deflate with it. All right. I mean, it's funny too, though, right? Because we suffer in the short term, right alongside them as Bitcoiners. It looks pretty dang clear that Alameda Research was running an algorithm on multiple exchanges 
to essentially create the echo bubble or the echo bull market in Bitcoin in 2021. What do you mean because by that? Because they, they saw correctly that it would cost them less money to market make and keep on creating the illusion of a second bull market in the second half of 2021, because they knew that there would not be a bull market for Solana. They hadn't got, they hadn't pumped Solana enough. It was positive. It was positive ROI for them to spend a few bill to pump Bitcoin because they can make way more billions by dumping their Solana. If they could get Bitcoin to pump and kind of drag the whole market up, Solana would be high beta to that. And they'd make 20 billion on that while spending 2 billion to pump Bitcoin. I'm not sure that. So are you saying that the double pump in the, in the last bull run? I'm was, saying that Alameda created the second pump probably. Wow. Wow. And they did it to pump their Solana bags. Holy moly, dude. So, so let's talk about, let's go down that path a bit, right? So if they're able to do something like that, is this something that, is, that can be exploited moving forward by other exchanges? Like, let's say Binance. It doesn't seem like there's mm-hmm. too many differences between Binance and FTX, other than maybe the intelligence of CZ versus SBF. But what are your thoughts I think what was, special, what was special about Solana is so many of the big players were willing to go along with it and essentially pump the bags at the same time. So FTX and Sam were completely behind it. And Drayson got completely behind it. Multicoin was completely behind it. CAA and the entire Hollywood apparatus, all the crypto inflected agents and managers were all behind it. And so I think they like the one that's on the come now that has the same group of people aligning around a new pump is Aptos. APTOS has basically the same group of cockroaches that scurried away after dumping Solana and they've kind of like realigned this giant crypto cockroach like uh you know, Voltron style, and they're getting behind Aptos to try to pump that. So we'll see if they succeed. But yeah, you can see them, whatever trading desk is still around that kind of leads the charge and sets their black box algorithms behind trying to fake a bull market in in Bitcoin before all this stuff washes out so they can try to pump their Aptos bags. You could see something like that happening again. Again, all of this is illegal according to the rules on the books. And all of these things are securities. And if they were regulated as, as such, as what they are, none of this is legal. None of these exchanges are legal, including Coinbase, obviously Binance, FTX, UX is not legal. Like none of this stuff is legal according to the rules on the books. And the reason those rules are there, you know, you can certainly have a principled stand and you can say like the SEC shouldn't exist, bro, you know, or there should be no regulations. And that's fine. If you're, if you're out there, you're in DC and you've been banging the table saying like Stratton Oakmont should be able to like market penny stocks to your grandma at the nursing home and let the market decide. That's totally fine if that's your hardcore libertarian stance. But you can't have it both ways. You can't not want Ponzi schemes and OTC stock manipulation and fraud on elders and stuff, and then be pro crypto being unregulated. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So you can't be Coinbase and benefit from all of the credibility that comes with being listed on a major US stock exchange and all of the credibility that grants you around the world, knowing that you're regulated, that you're audited, that you have analyst coverage, all this stuff. And then on the other hand, say, oh, but these other securities that are trading on my platform, don't look there. Those aren't securities. Bology hired some shitty lawyers and they have a framework and they said that they're not securities, but of course they are. Talk to us about the library ruling that recently happened. Are you dialed in on, on any of that and yeah. what the ramifications of it are? 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So it's not the highest level court. It's New Hampshire, but there are plenty of examples in the past where well-reasoned rulings from courts of that level, which is the same level as uh, I believe the Southern District of New York, which is probably the one that matters and would set precedent for everybody else. If they take up their next case and agree with the ruling on library up in New Hampshire, then I think basically the game is over for these fake decentralized projects in the United States. And the really interesting thing about libraries, you can literally sub Ethereum in for library in all of the findings, and it's the same. So there is no fair notice granted. They said, no, we didn't have to tell you before. It's up to you to follow the rules on the books. Nothing changed here. This was a security. You sold it with expectation of creating profit. It passes the Howey test. Like, and obviously anything south of Ethereum on the, on the leaderboard is the same. So then how would that get applied to the exchange? So if you're Coinbase and you're seeing this library case, which uh, I know Gary Gensler was on CNBC, I think at the end of last week, and he was, he was running around talking about this particular case. How do, how do the exchanges view that? What do they do differently? Because it seems pretty crystal clear what the SEC's position and the US government's position is as to these all being securities at this point. Yeah. I mean, they'd all have to register as securities and Coinbase would have to register as a securities exchange. And, and they're not in the works of doing anything of the sort, correct? I think they're prepping for that future. There's too much, too much money involved not to prepare for it. And, Bit- um, and Bitcoin is the only commodity, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's the only one that's actually a commodity. And obviously the, uh, the Ethereum people are trying to line as many pockets in DC as possible and cut as many deals with the bankers as possible because the natural axis of shitcoinery is banks, government, and shitcoins. So mm. they're trying to get together and do what they can to save this thing. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, it just went proof of stake. This thing is gathering interest. <laughs> this thing is centrally controlled. It's getting more centralized every day. A small group of people decides its fate, hard forks it constantly changes its monetary policy all the time. Like This thing is obviously a company that's controlled by a small number of people for the benefit of the price of the token that people invest in. Yeah. You know, that ain't a commodity, obviously. Corey, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you used to work at Google, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you came into the space. You said that you went Bitcoin well, I got into venture for a long time first. Uh-huh. So I uh-huh. was just doing like normal startup stuff and cutting angel checks and advising startups. And I was like the number two guy in an ad tech company from like 2013 to 2015 after leaving Google. But uh, yeah, I mean, way back in the day going back. So I, I did the, the broadcast undergrad. I reported while I was still in school. I was on the local NBC station. Decided not to do that and went, interned at Microsoft and went to work for Microsoft instead. So that got me out to New York. Was at Microsoft, then it was at Morgan Stanley doing uh, uh, private client marketing, basically. Mm-hmm. So putting mm-hmm. together all the newsletters and presentations and videos for all of their wealthy clients, including the high end of the Dean Wetter clients that had just come over. And then I went to B School, University of Chicago. Back then it was the the other GSB. Now it's Booth, but I was there from 02 to 04. And then I went to McKinsey and Company, did management consulting for a couple of years out of New York. Private equity was kind of blowing up. I was single for the first time in my adult life and decided to go back to Chicago where I had had a lot of fun in business school. Started a private equity consulting firm there and opened up a, uh, a $5 million, 12,000 square foot restaurant nightclub on the river. So that was fun for a couple of years. It came in handy this did, past uh, week. <laughs> and it came in very handy for the, uh, the Pacific Bitcoin conference. 
And then, yeah, three more years of management consulting. And then I think it was really the, uh, the global financial crisis of 08, 09 that, uh, that really made me think, wow, not only having lived through the dot-com boom and bust at the start of my career, and I think that's what made me want to get under solid, on solid ground and go to B-school and you know, go mm. to consulting and all this stuff. Now I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my God, like mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't be whipped around. I can't have my career and my life whipped around by these external factors. Like I want to have more control. I want to be working in something that's like just the, uh, where I benefit from the efforts of my labor and my thought and my networking. Mm-hmm. So that made me want to get into early stage startups. I went to Google very much deliberately. First good career decision I ever made. Treated it like internet business school. So mm-hmm. I went there in 2011, very much trying to break into the Silicon Valley ecosystem. Networked like crazy from having a Google address. <laughs> and yeah. Everybody would take a coffee or take a call. Met like a thousand founders and VCs in a couple of years out of Chicago and then moving out to LA after getting married. And then, yeah, by summer of 13, I felt comfortable getting into uh, startups full time. So that's what I've been doing. I'm, I'm coming up on almost 10 years now in, in startups full time been involved with uh, over 65 companies as an investor and advisor, probably pretty intimately with about 30 of those. My sweet spot for about four years straight was being the external advisor directly to a Silicon Valley venture-backed CEO working on strategy and fundraising. Mm. And um, so I did that for a long time. I helped raise over a quarter billion dollars for you know seed and A-stage startups through about 2019. And I, I started Swan in 2019. You said in, in 2018 is when you really kind of grokked Bitcoin and you realized that yeah. this is different than everything else. What was it that helped you yeah. figure that out? Well, I mean, I was seeing all the pitches and I was coming from somebody who'd been raising money since 2004 and obviously had, had, had to sit through a lot of other people's pitches along the way. And then I'd been investing since 2012 when I was still at Google in startups. And so I'd seen a lot of startup pitches that way. And each time I thought there might be something there, as I dug in deeper, I realized there was no there there. That went for, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing I did was like uh, one of the first NFT projects. And I was like consulting to them after they did their ICO. And, you know, they were good guys and they were good technologists and they had all this, all this money and, you know, all these smart people around. But I just like, when it came down to it, it was like the, it was the business version of, uh, my old boss uh, in my B-School internship uh, at Vitamin Water, uh, Darius wouldn't drink Vitamin Water because it had too much sugar in it. So he just drank Diet Coke. Like the whole executive team just drinks Diet Coke at Vitamin Water. <laughs> and like, I was like, man, this emperor has no clothes. And at the end of the day, like when you, when you dig in and you get through all the jargon and, and all the, the dressed up Silicon Valley and Drayson Horowitz blogs and the futures crypto and tokenize the world and all this stuff, like there just wasn't anything there. And then, so as my view of what crypto was, was like, going down in my estimation, I was starting to get punching through the incredible amount of noise. Because remember in 2017, like there was very little Bitcoin only education out there. It's not like today. But little by little, I started to find the signal. I think I'm pretty famous for saying it started with Jimmy Song at a crypto conference in Santa Monica, I think the beginning of November, end of October in 2017. And it's kind of a famous story at this point, but I saw this dude on the lawn outside the conference talking to a few people and he had a cowboy hat on and he was just looking around like with daggers, like he absolutely hated everyone around him. And I found that very attractive. So I went over and got to know him a little bit and he explained to me, you know, the basics of why, you know, none of 
none of this crypto blockchain stuff meant anything. And Bitcoin is the only thing that that matters and started watching him in town. And that led to Andreas. And then it led to, you know, obviously Stefan and Marty. And then Safe's book came out in like mm-hmm. March of 18, I think was great. And then there was a big scary gram that came across from uh, Jay Clayton, I think was in March of 18 when he said, yeah, they're all securities. And I was mm-hmm. like, bro, I got a family. So then yeah. I started going yeah. like really deep. And I mean, it was definitely like by the end of March, beginning of April of 2018, that I was like, well, even from an economic standpoint, it's clear that Bitcoin matters more than everything else by a factor of like a thousand. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a thousand times bigger than everything else combined in the long run. And then as I just kept on going and going, I just became more and more passionate about Bitcoin and tried to like jam a Bitcoin ecosystem fund into the like crypto fund that I was working on at the time. And like that just didn't work. And as always, I go to Turkey for, you know, four to six weeks in the summer. And when I got back from that in uh, August of 18, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to work on Bitcoin full time. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Hey, I want to talk about the conference because I literally just got back yesterday and dude, I had a blast. Like I wasn't there for more than like halfway through the morning of of the first day at the conference. And I just texted my wife. I was like, oh my God, you got to come to this conference next year. This is everything out here is just so cool. Like that's the only word that I can use to describe the experience was it was just so laid back, West Coast. LA, right? Just so cool. The basketball court, dude, the basketball court was so much fun. Like I'm in there, I'm listening to all these amazing speakers. It's Bitcoin only, which was, you know, that alone just made it amazing. I go out for a break and like the people on the court, it was unbelievable. It was so much fun. The music, there was smack talking, like literally with the microphone, people talking smack as others are playing each one-on-one. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. So talk to us about the conference, setting it up. Like, what were you going for? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we had one, one motto or one mantra for all of 2022 for the company and it was Bitcoin, not crypto. Mm. And basically that one theme that you'll see us drive for all of 2023. And I think this kind of kicked it off at the conference is Bitcoin is cool. Yeah. Like, and it literally is. It's literally the coolest thing on the planet. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash WSB. That's fundrise.com slash WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, 
And it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Corey, everybody that I passed that I talked to, they were like, this conference is just cool. Like this conference is so much fun. I'm having a blast. I mean, you're right there in Santa Monica, California, dude. It was like- You're at the airport. There's private jets. There's basketball. The Compton Magic is there. There's NBA players walking around. Like the music is amazing. You know, it's it's all the little things, you know, it's, it's just- uh, we have a lot of people that have uh, thrown parties and put on events over the years. And I kind of knew that and those people kind of gravitate toward us. I think just because of the beacon signal that we give out, you know, even, even Jan Pritzker, the, our CTO, yeah. you know, yeah. author of, you know, my favorite book on Bitcoin reverb, the company he co-founded was very social and very content driven and very event driven. And it was all about musicians. Talk about a cool company. That was a cool company you know, and they, they sold for 300 mil or whatever a few years ago, but, um, it was all about, it's a marketplace for, uh, for used music equipment, but yeah, up and down the company. I mean, Brady Swenson's been organizing parties since he was in college. Uh, Brandon Quidham is a leader of men, been organizing parties for 20 some years. I mean, everybody at the company, I mean, Kristen Thompson, who put on this event, I mean, she's from hidden Hills, which is like, that's like, okay, cool. You're in Calabasas, but like, are you in hidden Hills? Like she grew up there riding horses and stuff. And she used to bartend on the sunset strip. Like these people know cool. I used to throw a Halloween party with some friends in Chicago every year. That was just like completely free VIP only invite only 
and it was bigger than the Pacific Bitcoin conference. Like I met my wife at a party with 1400 people at it in a two-story loft in Chicago with name DJs and premium liquor and cops working security and the whole deal. Like this is not new for us, but we like it. It's fun. You could tell. And I think it's, you could tell. Yeah. Man. I mean, but it, we, was, we wanna, it was unreal. We want to celebrate, you know? And so it's just, <laughs> it's a hundred little decisions that you just dial on mm. and you do this instead of that. You do this instead of that. When you have to cut something, you cut this, but don't cut that. And I think we got to something that, that was really cool. And then, I mean, Swan is signal in Bitcoin for a certain type of person. And then you throw in probably like, you know, if there were 1200 people there, 200 of them were probably people that got converted to us because we saved their finances earlier this year. So they were just like, it was like a pilgrimage. There were people from all over the world coming just to try to meet us because we helped save their money. Yeah. So yeah, we're already gearing up for the next one. <laughs> we've already sold a few hundred tickets for next year. I believe, um, dude, I believe. Yeah. It. So we've, we've got it up. Sorry to show, but yeah, PacificBitcoin2023.com has the tickets, both uh, super discount. I think it's 249 for GA and like 1499 for VIP. Man, that VIP section, I kind of wish that I could have just attended because that was just like the coolest way to watch a conference. Let like, me tell you, it was bad. Couches was, all over the place oh that you could just God. sit on. And then the networking, like if you wanted to hang out at the bar, you're still able to watch the speeches, which I think is huge. So yeah, I just, it was great. Dude, it was, that it was, it was great. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. All right. I'm still I, recovering. You're the first <laughs> adult that I've talked to in a normal conversation today. I've been dealing with my kids all morning because one's sick and the other one's school got closed for the day. So it's nice to talk to you. All I can say is bravo. Like I, I left, I walked in the house, you know, my wife was watching the kids and she saw me roll in and I was just like beaming and she's like, well, welcome home. Now you can help me out with the kids. And I was like, but you don't understand. I just came back from this conference. It was amazing. She's like, I'm sure it was Preston. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I went through the same thing. Thank, thank goodness. Uh, my wife was able to come for a couple of hours on Friday afternoon and kind of see it. And then uh, she and the kids were able to join us for the, uh, it was the nice meeting them. VIP brunch on Saturday. So yeah, it was really yeah, nice meeting them. We hope to meet your better half next year. Yeah. I told her you have to go. We're going to, you know, my parents could come watch the kids and the two of us are going to go for sure. Cause it was awesome. A blast. Yes. Oh, and one other thing, the professor. So I go out there. I had no idea who this guy was. I go out for a break. I'm outside. Just, you know, you just walk, gravitate towards the basketball court. Cause there was always something happening. So I go over mm -hmm. there and this guy is playing basketball at a level that I like, you could have shown me a video and be like, there's no way like all of that was real that I just watched. But I was there in person yeah. watching this guy. It was unbelievable. Like how can a person possibly play like that? Mm -hmm. And he's not that tall. Like he's not that big, but like his moves. No. And he's are, 37. He's 37. <laughs> of course he's he is. quicker than like any 20 year old. And he's 37. Like what, he's what is his, guy. what's his story? What's, what's his real story? Cause yeah. So the professor, uh, Grayson Boucher is his name. Uh, he got famous in the late nineties, early two thousands as, uh, on the end one mixtape tour. Mm. So this was like Streetball legends and they built a clothing brand around it and a shoe brand around it. I think Steph Marbury was, uh, was a spokesperson for them back in the day. Okay. Anyway, so he got famous from that and oh. then, and one ended up in other hands and they mismanaged it and basically shut it down. And he had to relaunch himself 
you know, probably eight, nine years ago as a YouTube and social media personality. Oh, but he okay. loved doing basketball. He absolutely, like he personally loves editing video oh. and loves social media. So he's really good at it. And he has a great team, mostly made up of like his homies and like his brother and his cousin and stuff like that. And they just mm-hmm. go around and, and shoot basketball related content. But he's gotten super famous. He's got a bunch of videos with, you know, anywhere from like five to 50 million views. I mean, huge, huge, huge numbers of Sky posts. It was unbelievable. Um, so it's a, he's a super nice guy, very sort of high integrity, very moral, very smart. I'm investing a lot of time in him because I'm trying to orange pill the hell out of him because yeah. he just has such global reach. Basketball is cool. The professor is cool. And he's one of those people that I think should be on the mission. Oh, that'd be um, so awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's here. I really like it. Didn't, didn't really make any, any sense, I guess unless from like a branding perspective, but there's not like a, an ROI. He was one of only two people that we paid to come speak at the conference. We paid um, Alex Epstein's speaker fee, which was totally reasonable. And then, you know, the professor was probably like way over budget for what we should be spending to have somebody come. But like, I just felt it like was, it was the right thing to do. It was, it just, it was. like you said, it brought it so much energy to it. And yeah, it was so fun. And, and again, it's a down payment on if we can get this dude to read a few books and listen to some podcasts and become a Bitcoiner. Like, Oh my God, he's one of those people that could really change it because his reach is just so, so big. And he's like, I've been talking a lot for the last few months about the shelling points of cool. Okay. You know, (laughs) because we like shelling points in Bitcoin. Like obviously Bitcoin's a shelling point of money, but the shelling point, a shelling point of cool is something that everyone thinks everybody else thinks is cool. Yeah. So like NASCAR doesn't make the cut, but Formula One does. Mm, Interesting. Right. And baseball doesn't make the cut, but basketball does. And country doesn't make the cut, but hip hop does things like that. And surfing, obviously. So we had a lot of surf. We had basketball. We had the professor. We're trying to just identify. We're always brainstorming on like, what are the things that everybody thinks is cool, Mm -hmm. but everybody thinks everybody else will think is cool, basically. And I think that's what we need to associate Bitcoin with. Yeah, I like Uh, that. Firemen are a great example. (laughs) I like that. I hope he comes back. Corey, I hope he comes back next year. I hope you have him back because. My goodness. I'm sure everybody that left that was out there that saw him, like, I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people I've told the story to since I've come yeah. back of just like how incredible this guy was sending them. Well, did you see, did you see like, Ray Ray from the Compton I Magic? Did. I did. He okay, was so that unbelievable too. Amazing. He's an incredible player. And he took the mic and was basically like a guest MC for, you know, probably 30 minutes doing a bunch of stuff right next to Dante and Yusuf while the Compton Magic was out there doing their dunk contest and their knockout tournament and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing talent. We're straight up going to assign him for something for real. Like he mm. turns 18 in January and can, you know, name image likeness. You can start getting paid. Um, wow. I already extended an offer to, to him and his mom to have him be one of the MCs for next year. Oh, that's so awesome, Corey. Yeah, yeah he's on Twitter now. Like he, he joined Twitter. He has a hundred followers. I retweeted him today. I put an amazing oh, picture of him trying to do a crossover on the professor. Like he's <laughs> going to be out there. Anyway, we're going to, we've orange pilled Tope, the guy who owns and runs the Compton Magic. So he's the coach and CEO and he oh. is totally into Bitcoin. We're sponsoring their entire coaching staff through the Bitcoin benefit plan. So we actually were sending the Bitcoin directly to his entire coaching staff every month, the same way that the Swans do and the IKEA stores and all these other people that participate in the Bitcoin benefit plan. So we're sponsoring them that way. And he's just trying to orange pill his kids who will basically, most of them will become at least college famous and 
he's got five lotto picks in the last three years. So these kids, a lot of times become big stars in the NBA as well. So Corey, we're going to have links to the professor. We're going to have links to the Compton magic. We're going to have links to Pacific Bitcoin for next year. Swan. Yeah. What, what else do you want to highlight or anything like that before we wrap things up and can't thank sure. you enough for coming on, man. This was, this yeah, was of awesome. course. Long overdue. Glad we're Long doing overdue. it. Won't be the last time. And thank you, by the way, for always coming and supporting uh, Swan oh, yeah. Signal Live and you know hard money and the shows that you've done with us. So appreciate you. I think I think a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin now and realizing this is something that they'd like to do professionally. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, you know Bitcoiner Jobs, by far the biggest jobs website in the space, is a great one to post in the notes. Obviously, Swan posts all our jobs there, and so do I think fifty or sixty other Bitcoin companies, and increasingly companies that are looking for Bitcoiners mm-hmm. are getting added to it. So companies that are run by Bitcoiners and they're looking for Bitcoiners. I think it's just a really interesting niche in the job space because there's so much that's already said when a Bitcoiner meets a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's all I have, man. I really appreciated okay. that your, your rundown on everything happening right now to uh, at the start of the show was just phenomenal. But thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast and I look forward to yeah. doing it again in the future. Sounds good. Thanks, Preston. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, If you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.